0: something uh, uh, extremely special. We're raising up our third elder at Awaken, Phil Kraus. So I'm super excited to be a part of this tonight. Now we use the term elder and pastor interchangeably. And I want to say just right out of the gate, I was reminded in a meeting I had earlier t- uh, today that being ordained as a pastor or elder, again, terms are interchangeable, is not a call to the varsity team. Okay, it doesn't mean that there's everybody else and then there's pastors. In fact, the opposite is true. We're told in Scripture in 1 Peter that we're all part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There is no higher calling than that of priest in the kingdom of God. A pastor is someone who is uh, in charge of governing the affairs of the church, Anybody in this church can do amazing things for God. You can evangelize. You can, uh, uh, you can lead various ministries. You can teach. You can do so many different things. You don't have to be a pastor to do anything in the kingdom of God. It's a role of service. I just want to make that clear out of the gate and, and provide a little bit of clarity here at Awaken on what does a pastor do. A pastor is not necessarily a gift in the sense that you uh, use it like you would a shepherding gift or an evangelism gift. For example, an evangelist, you would never tell an evangelist, well, we don't need another evangelist at this church, right? We want as many evangelists as we can possibly get. But uh, as someone pursues uh, becoming a pastor or, again, an elder, a, a lot comes into play, Number one, does the church have need at that time? You could have someone who had the character qualities and attributes of a pastor, but it's not needed at that time because the church already has enough pastors or there's a certain uh, gifting that a pastor needs in that particular church. Could also be that it's not the right time in life for that particular person. So I just wanna make that clear out of the gate. The, the The pastoral team is responsible for governing the church, for equipping the body, for laying down their life for the body and shepherding them. So we'll get into that tonight. But you are not on the JV team because you're out there and not up here. Okay, we're serving. Pastors serve just like anybody else, walking out their gifting as God calls them to. So, uh, you know, when God grows an elder, it takes years and years and it's such a blessing for the body to be supported and protected by pastors. And that's why we celebrate this tonight. And uh, ordaining a new pastor is a great opportunity to look at how the church is to be led. How are decisions supposed to be made? How's the church supposed to be governed? And I want to look at a six part character description that we find in 1 Timothy. And when we read 1 Timothy, we're reading about Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, about how to govern the church, how the church operates. And we can sum up the entire book in these two verses in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14. Paul says to Timothy, Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the church. So 1 Timothy's telling us, how does the church work? How is it run? So the point of this letter from Paul is to direct the church on how to be governed. And then we look at this six-part description in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this six-part depiction of a pastor. The first is above reproach, above reproach. So look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and we'll just go ahead and read all seven verses of this section here 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 Here is a trustworthy saying Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task Now the overseer is to be above reproach faithful to his wife temperate self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not given to drunkenness not violent but gentle not quarrelsome not a lover of money He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he'll not fall in disgrace and into the devil's trap. So the elder, the pastor, is to be above reproach. Now, this doesn't mean that he's supposed to be perfect, doesn't mean that he's supposed to be sinless. What it means is the elder candidate who engages in unethical business practices, for example, adultery, addictions of all sorts, or any other habitual sin should be corrected or possibly even removed, uh, disqualified if he's not yet a pastor. Put another way, the elder should not be known for a sinful lifestyle choice. It doesn't mean the elder is sinless. So when we say above reproach, we're not saying that You know, every elder is some fourth member of the Trinity. There's only three, and all jobs are taken. No vacancies. Uh, Did I say, did I introduce myself, by the way? I'm Chris, one of the pastors here. Good to have you here tonight. Uh, The passage also says that he must be faithful to his wife. Again, in verse two, it says, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife. So he must have eyes for one woman. He's to be a husband who models Ephesians 5 in that he lays down his life for his wife just as Christ does the church. He's to be her servant and not only that, her lead servant. Furthermore, his wife should speak well of him. And Aaron speaks very well of Mr. Kraus. And Phil, you're not worthy of her. I want you to know that. You know that. Yeah, he's known that for a long time. Uh, There shouldn't be any secret sexual sin, and he must be accountable to his brothers in Christ, particularly the other elders, and he must pursue purity. He need not be perfect, but he needs a track record of victory, of battling against sin, declaring war on the flesh, and gaining victory along with his brothers and sisters with the Holy Spirit's help. And it'd be good to take a moment at this point to point out the description of a pastor or elder here is clearly a man. What I mean by that is female ordination of pastors is not what God's word teaches. And let me clarify here. Many will ask, well, where does it say in the Bible that women should not be ordained? Well, we can't get into all the passages tonight, but we can get into a few. Obviously, uh, the assumption here in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 1, as we'll read, is that a pastor is a male. And then in 1 Corinthians uh, I have this verse wrong. It's 1 Corinthians 11. It says 14, 11, but it's 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 11. It says, but I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is man and the head of Christ is God. So this is advocating an uh, uh, orderly worship service, what a worship service looks like, but the same can be applied uh, to a Christian household where uh, uh, males our servant leaders and it can also be applied to eldership. We see this elsewhere for Christian households in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21. It says, "Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the savior." Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So biblical male headship and the submission of the Christian wife, I wanna be very clear here, is not a greater than or less than relationship. In other words, this is not like the way it works in the world. Submitting is not less than, and authority is not greater than. Notice how this section starts in Ephesians 5, that it says we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, I would turn to Philippians 2, and it says, Paul tells us that we're not to look to our own interests, but also to the interest of others, just as Christ laid down his life for us, not looking to his own interest, but to ours. So biblical male headship and female submission is a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church. It doesn't mean that a woman cannot be a leader. It doesn't mean that she should just shut up and obey. Just ask my wife. I'm doing most of the shutting up and obeying in our household. It doesn't mean that she can't lead me, okay? And it doesn't mean that I don't sometimes submit to her, right, it just means my primary role is to lead as a servant leader, and her primary role is to submit to my leadership. Now, I want you to catch this. It's horribly offensive to our modern world because we interpret words like authority and submission through a sin-stained worldly dictionary. We read the phrase, the head of the woman is man, and think of heavy-handed dictatorial leadership, or maybe even worse, spousal abuse. And we see the same thing, or we can be tempted to think the same thing about male uh, uh, eldership in the church. But read on, it also says at the end what? In 1 Corinthians 11 there, the head of Christ is God. The head of Christ is God. So some of you react with your hands raised, screaming out, doesn't the Bible teach that Jesus and God are equal? And resounding, yes, it, Jesus and God are equal. The Trinity is God in three in three persons, separate but what? Equal, right. So submission does not mean less than, and authority doesn't mean Better. It may mean that in certain spaces of our world, but not in the kingdom of God. Even Jesus submits to the Father. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, we just read, and in John chapter 5, that Jesus submits to the Father. So it is everything we read in scripture. We need to be careful that we're defining terms based on what God says and not based on what we think or what the world says. When we look at biblical submission and authority, we're looking at relationships filled with integrity, tenderness, outward focus, others first centered, and God honoring versus self-centered, self-promoting, self-serving, manipulative, and so on. So this is a whole teaching on its own, but I wanted to say that just uh, because tonight lends the opportunity to mention the way we view eldership. But before we move on, note that we have brothers and sisters in other churches who love Jesus and honor God who ordain women. We're not throwing them under the bus here. We love them. We walk arm in arm with them as we obey and follow Christ. But we would lovingly disagree with that perspective here. So the next characteristic is fairly detailed. And the way I kind of bunched up these different descriptors is an elder is disciplined emotionally, verbally, and behaviorally. So in a similar description of an elder elder pastor in 1 Timothy, or rather Titus chapter 1, it says that he must live a life, he must live a devout and disciplined life. And the meaning of a disciplined life is shaped out here in 1 Timothy 3. It says in verse 2, 1 Timothy 3 verse 2, now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Notice here that the only competency is what? The only competency mentioned is what? Able to teach. Everything else is character related. Did you notice that? Out of 14 characteristics on my count, and we all know I struggle with math, Out of 14 characteristics on my count, you know the snotty ones out there are gonna say, no, Chris, there's 17. Okay, I mean a bunch, but 14 is my count, so just cut me some slack. (laughs) Only one is competency-related. And even that one is without qualification. What I mean is it doesn't say that the elder should be a gifted communicator to large groups or at Christian conferences, which Phil can do both. He's a great communicator, but he wouldn't have to be in order to be ordained as a pastor. He simply must be able to teach God's word, maybe even in a home group or in a small group of people where he's providing biblical counseling. The only qualifier we get in the word for context in this command for pastors to be able to teach is in Titus chapter one, verse nine. It says, he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those opposite where they're wrong. So he needs to be able to defend sound biblical doctrine, and even be able to correct those who have fallen away and are going down a dangerous path biblically. And you'll notice that these other characteristics take a ton of time to evaluate. You can't just tell if someone is self-controlled, if they're faithful to their wife overnight. In recent history, churches have ordained pastors mainly for their competencies, and they've spent very little time evaluating their character For example, many movements and denomination of churches want to make sure their pastoral candidates went to the right schools, is a polished speaker, is charismatic, uh, is extroverted, is great at organizing and starting and maintaining programs, is is an excellent recruiter of volunteers, and the list goes on and on. And by the way, he's got to be 27 years old with all of these competencies. They're looking for a CEO or an NFL coach, not a pastor, pastor is one who lays down his life. He may be the goofiest guy in the world, but he's one who loves the church and is qualified and called. According to the Bible, then, less than 10% of the focus is on competency, and that's why we take time to evaluate over a long period of time. And by God's grace in our association of churches, there's very little fallout, of pastors who implode. Not that we're above that, not that it doesn't happen, but it's very rare. And man, it seems like every time I turn on the news or get on my phone to look at the news, there's one more story of a pastoral giant, so to speak, in terms of his influence, falling and bringing many down with him. So that's why it's so important to emphasize character in this process. We take years to look at the candidate, his family, his temperance, his relationship to money, the use of his home and resources. We want to see how he responds to trials and temptations, sins, losses, and addictions, large and small. We want to see him deal with conflict in the church. Is he hard at work to love and provide for his family? We want to see how he responds when dreams die and what happens when he doesn't get what he wants from church leadership. We wanna see how he does when his personal ministry is booming and when it's more boring than watching the grass grow. In season and out of season, does he love his savior, his family, and his church? We're not looking for superstars. We're not looking for superstars as this world defines superstars. We're looking for godly men who are humble, who don't need the spotlight, and who love God's church, their family, and their savior. I'll also say on a side note that we believe in plurality of elders or pastors. That means that I'm not like the, the, uh, uh, you know, senior guy and then everybody else kind of serves me. The table is round, so to speak. Whether you're a staff pastor, a non-staff pastor that isn't on uh, staff at all, the the table is round. Everybody's vote is equal. We all submit to one another out of reverence for Christ as we... uh, serve the church. The next part is once again a character issue in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4. It says, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him, and he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone doesn't know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So the pastor, in order, places God first, then family, then the church. The pastor's first church is a little tiny one on Vernon Road or Margaret Avenue. Or uh, in the church parking lot where Kimball lives. That's the, <laughs> that's the, that, that's our first church. That is, if I, if we tell our pastors, if you're going to cheat anybody, cheat the church, not your family. We don't want to cheat you either. But if it comes down to, it, you're going to get cheated before we cheat um, our family. So plain and simple, if the pastor doesn't manage his own family well in such a God-honoring way that his home is filled with peace and love and worship, then how can he lead the church to those same ends? So the repeating theme we keep coming back to is the pastor is one that lives a God-honoring lifestyle, not one that simply has a God-honoring calling and does it well. So I want to tell a lot of you young people, I, I mean, I know a lot of you are going to move all over, you're gonna move all over the place. You're gonna be at this church for a couple years and then you're gone, living your life, uh, pursuing your vocation and all that stuff. When you go to a church, don't look for a rock star. And don't ever go to a church where that man is not under, he's not accountable. If he's the one who calls all the shots, I don't care how good the church is, find somewhere else to go. That's not the biblical model. You be the one who interviews the church you go to. Make sure they have a plurality of elders, Many elders, or more than one elder, where they submit to one another. So, the repeating theme we keep coming back to is the pastor is one that lives a God honoring lifestyle, not simply one who does great stuff for God. Keep in mind, the first Corinthians were told, or, or the Corinthians were told in first Corinthians that they had all the gifts, yet they lacked love. So, you can be somebody who's leading all kinds of people to Christ, who's got the podcast and all that stuff. But man, when it comes to your character, you're not qualified. I don't care how skilled you are in your ministry. That's not the qualification. The qualification is character. Uh, I've seen this in Phil's household. Every time I turn around, the guy is telling me about something his kids did, a, a game he did with them, or a hike he went on with them, some vacation he's going on with them or looking forward to, date night with Aaron. Uh, a great family devotion he had with them, he certainly models this and humbles me in his example there. So moving on here, the elder is also time-tested. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, it says, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. So he must be battle-tested. He must be one who's called to be an elder but doesn't need to be one in order to love God's church. A man placed into this office too soon may see the role in such a way that he enjoys being the authority instead of being under the authority of Christ as an under-shepherd. Move too quick, and he might be razzle-dazzle in the pulpit in the home group uh, leadership or whatever, but he might fall into the devil's trap who sought to become more important than God. The devil was booted because he wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshiped. He wanted to receive glory and take it from God so might the man who's placed in a pastoral role too soon. So here's a diagnostic we use to apply to our best effort to see that this does not happen, and many churches in our association apply the same diagnostic. Uh, Three questions to help us determine if he's truly respected as an elder in the church. First is, are there people the elder candidate led to Christ, brought into the church, or discipled? In other words, he should have a church within a church, so to speak ones who have been brought to maturity through his ministry. And Phil, from the start, actually brought people into the church that he had discipled into the vision that he and Aaron had to reach um, uh, their neighborhood for Christ. And then the second, are there members who seek out the elder candidate as their primary spiritual leader, seeking his counsel as to their personal and spiritual life? Many of you do that with Phil. Phil. He's spending time with some of you regularly and you're you're getting direction and insight uh, into next steps for you spiritually. And then lastly, if this elder candidate wanted to plant a church in a nearby community or some other new work, are there people who respect him enough to follow his lead? So will people follow him into a new venture, whether church plant, home group, and so on? I believe this is important because the question is, will people take risk? in ministry with him as the lead risk taker. This is a spiritual gift, and I believe it's a necessary one for a pastor. Again, Phil demonstrates this in spades. He, he, in spades, he moved into the shepherd community with a God-given vision to serve that community with the love of Christ, and many followed him and moved into that neighborhood. Likewise, he started Safe Families, and many of you have plugged into the, uh, the heart of Christ by inviting children in crisis to come into your home. In short, an elder is someone who is an elder to someone else. If there's not a group in the church that seeks him out regularly is a spiritual father, it might mean that he doesn't currently, currently have time to invest in relationships uh, or that this is not his calling. This is not simply a facilitator uh, of a group, although that, that, that is very important. And we're not only talking about discipleship, though discipleship is... What we're called to, it is the thing, right, to lead others to Christ and help them reach maturity so that they might reach others. That's what we're called to. But when we're talking about a pastor, we're talking about um, something in addition to that. He's a servant leader who goes into the work of the gospel and others follow him into it. Simply put, do Christ followers in the church follow the candidate into action, taking risks to advance the gospel, Ideally, everyone will consider him an elder before he even becomes one, and Phil's definitely in that position tonight. Probably most of you here tonight are kind of like, I thought Phil was already a pastor here. That's a good thing. He's one who spends himself on behalf of the church. He's a lead servant. Finally, to wrap it all up, he must have a good reputation This seems to be repeated using different words, both in our passage tonight and in Titus 1, but it keeps being repeated in different ways, so I'll repeat it here. And here it's related to a good reputation uh, not only inside the church, but also outside the church. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 7, it says, he must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he'll not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So the first trap mentioned is for an elder to be placed into the office too early and face the same judgment as the devil, removed because he was trying to make himself the focus instead of God. The second trap here is the pastor has a poor reputation with those outside the church and is labeled a hypocrite before a watching world. This is a stain on both the pastor and his family and the church, and all will be hurt and fallen and uh, could fall prey to the devil's trap of shame and condemnation. And as I said, we see that all too much, don't we? I wanna end with a comment that may seem to pull the rug out from underneath all that's been said so far, and that's this. This is impossible. This is absolutely impossible. No one can measure up to this. There's not one pastor in the entire world that has ever measured up to this. I mean, to be above reproach, or as Titus 1 says, blameless, absolutely blameless, no pastor can fulfill this character description all the time, just as none of us can fully obey the admit, admonition to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. We have any takers, anyone who wants to raise their hand and say, I'm perfect as my heavenly Father's perfect. If you want to keep that hand, you might want to keep it down. You might get struck by lightning, Right? I should also add that all 14 descriptors of a pastor in 1 Timothy 3 are found elsewhere for all believers. Did you know that? Hospitable? Are we all called to be hospitable? Temperate? We all called to be temperate? Self-controlled, right? Faithful to our wives and husbands? There's only one able to teach that doesn't necessarily apply to every believer. So, this should be humbling to all of us. We don't look at the pastor and say, somehow you're the super Christian. No, we are all called to an impossible standard. And the pastor, like all of us when we read scripture, should fall on our faces and say, Lord, you have to live through me. I can't do it. I can't do it. This should be humbling to the pastor. The description of traits the pastor is to have in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 is to be the overall trajectory and track record of the pastor, but he'll never be perfect or he would be Jesus if he fulfilled all these characteristics all the time. So this, uh, if the pastor's not humble, if it doesn't bring him to his knees, he'll either explode with pride, the shrapnel injuring all those around him, thinking he's all that in a bag of chips, Or he'll cower in condemnation, fear, and bitterness because he believes grace is for the non-pastor believers but not for him. I see this humility in our next pastor, Phil Krause. I see this is a man who I've observed over years, who Kimball's observed over years. We've seen him in various seasons of trial and joy. And he's a man who is humbled by this passage. He's humbled. And I want to call him up now. Phil, if you'd come on up here. You, Phil, for many years now, you've served the Lord here at Awaken. And your character, as described in our teaching from 1 Timothy 3, has been tested through our character evaluation test, through congregational input that we put out some time ago, and service at Awaken through all the ups and downs of life. You've completed our course of study for elder candidates called the Great Commission Leadership Institute. Our Association of Churches has a, this is our two-year program of study for elder candidates, and you've completed our doctrinal test. Additionally, while our movement of churches called Great Commission Churches, or GCC, does not ordain pastors, that's the responsibility of each church's independent governance, they do provide accountability in the form of an established process that GCC churches willingly submit to for the ordination of pastors. Our regional director, John Hoppler, John, give us a wave. It's his wife Sandy's birthday tonight, by the way, as well, uh, has affirmed that we've taken all the necessary steps. Phil is a godly man who loves Christ and loves the church. And Phil, at this time, I'd like to call you to answer some questions. Please answer, I do, if this is your intention. And Kimball, if you come on up here. Phil, well, I need a fist bump, too. No, I don't get one. All right. We'll talk about this later. Uh, I'm just kidding. We do have a senior pastor. No, I'm just kidding. Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and acknowledge him to be Lord of all and head of the church? I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired word of God and that they are the unique witness to Jesus Christ and God's authoritative word for your life, faith, and ministry? Do you receive and endorse our church's teachings and practices as faithful to the principles of Scripture? I do. Do you accept awakened statement of faith, stated values, vision, and philosophy of ministry? I do. Do you submit to the call to lay down your life for God's people? I do. Do you, with God's help, assume the responsibility to preach and teach God's Word with love and boldness, to minister to the needs of our people without partiality, and to build up the body of Christ? Do you commit to diligence in your prayer and study of the word? And do you seek to model the Christian life among the people you serve? I do. Do you seek to be directed and empowered by the Holy Spirit in order that you may be an effective servant among God's people? I do. Do you faithfully commit to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ in both word and deed, in your own life and family, and through your leadership of the church? I do. Now I want to invite up the better half, Aaron. Aaron, come on up here. And, Aaron, don't worry. I just have one question for you. (laughs) Although she's a great communicator, she has no reason to be nervous up here. Aaron, if it's your intention, please answer. I do. Aaron, as you stand here with Phil, do you commit to support him in his ministry? And do you purpose to walk together with him as he serves, laboring with him as you have opportunity? I do. Wonderful. We want to pray for you guys now. Could you agree along with us in prayer?
1: Just so want to take a second and and say that this is uh, God, God is doing this. He's raised you up, brother, and you are. I'm so humbled to follow you and uh, to serve alongside with with, with you. Uh, you. You are a man who I'm so uh, so honored and thrilled to ask the church to to follow your example as you as you follow Jesus. Lord, we, uh, Lord celebrate what you've done in Phil's life and in Aaron's life. Lord, the family you've given them, the marriage you've given them. Lord, the way that you've led them sovereignly over the years. Um, God, just the, the, the countless moments, Lord, of you breaking through their hearts. Uh, Lord, of you uh, bringing them together. Um, Lord, hearing some of the stories uh, earlier from Phil's friend who's here before he knew Christ in the, in the dorms back in the day, um, it is a miracle <laughs> that he's standing here. Um, Lord, and, and uh, God, we just, we celebrate the, the strength of the resolute faith uh, of, of this couple and this family. The, the love they have for Jesus Christ, Lord, we celebrate the the fires that they've been through, God, um, the ways they've been refined over the years and trusted you and seen you come through for them, Lord. And and we, we do believe that there is much more of that, God. And I thank you that you are strong, Lord, that you will never abandon them, God. Um, Lord, and we just trust you to protect Phil and to protect Aaron, Lord, to fill them with the Spirit, God. I, I pray, Lord, that, uh, Lord, you would bring about new gifts Envision, Lord, in this next season uh, of their lives, God. This this moment right now, just laying hands on Phil, Lord, recognizing the work that Your Holy Spirit has done. It's not anything that we've done or that the church has has done primarily, Lord. You've done something here, God, and we're just acknowledging yes. and and following Your lead, Lord. So this this moment right now, just laying hands on this brother. Um, God, I, I pray that, that new and special things would come out of, out of this time. Lord, lead, lead Phil as he leads his family, Lord, and, and, and leads the church. Um, Lord, we love you, we trust you, God, um, and we praise you and celebrate, Lord, your grace and the gift for us, Lord, for our church. God, thank you for Phil and thank you for Aaron, Lord. You've taught us so much, so many of us, Lord. You've taught us so many things, Lord, through the work that you've done in them, through them, God, and uh, we, we're grateful for that, Lord. We, we pray that it would continue and increase, Lord, by the strength and power of your Holy Spirit.
0: Lord, I pray a blessing on Phil and Aaron. I pray that their labor and service would be a great joy for them. Lord, one that would be a blessing in their marriage, would be a blessing to their kids that their kids would grow up and say, my dad was a pastor and it was awesome. I pray, Lord, alongside Kimball, that you would bless his ministry. Lord, that as he walks out your calling here at Awaken, that you would give him fresh vision and insight into what's next for us. Well, that he would be responsive to the gifts in this body and that you would, Give him discernment to know how to fan those gifts into flame. Lord, I pray a blessing on him that he would be one who sets free the gifts of this church to expand your kingdom and to love God's people. Lord, I pray a blessing on him that you would protect him from the evil one. I pray that you'd gift him with discernment, Lord, that he would know the schemes of the enemy as we know his family would be a target. Lord, as you went as you established the church, you called us to to raise up elders, Lord, not to be served, but to serve. Lord, I pray the blessing of endurance as that can be very tiring. I pray the blessing of friendship that you would raise up many who love Phil and Aaron, that they can be real with, that they can laugh with, that they can cry with, that they can serve and be on mission with. And Lord, I thank you so much for this couple. We are... So excited, Lord, to be able to, as Kimball said, acknowledge what you've already done. Thank you, Jesus, for raising Philip. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. One second. We got you a little something, brother. This is from Awaken. You guys all bought this for him. <laughs> Thanks, honey. Appreciate it, brother.
2: Chris asked if I would share something here at the end, and he said to make it really good, so I have a little bit of pressure on me, so. Yeah, he did, actually, he did. And I rebuked him. Uh, Now, I'm gonna keep this short and sweet. I actually had this list of things I wanted to go through and actually hit me sitting here tonight, actually what I should share tonight. And it's, um, well, first off, I think I just wanna say that uh, I'm humbled, beyond humbled, and undeserving. And it's because of God's grace. So praise the Lord for that. Um, but First Peter five two says, "Care for the flock of God entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you're going to get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God." And I believe, I truly mean this. This isn't lip service. I believe the greatest way that I can serve this church is to pray for this church. And I just uh, the Lord has over the past couple months keep taking me back to the latter half of Isaiah. And really praying through a lot in Isaiah 50, in the 50s and 60s specifically. And I just want to read this passage as a prayer of this church tonight. And so um, if you would just pray with me that uh, we uh, accept this challenge that we see God give to Israel for the heart and lifestyle that he desires for them. So pray with me here. Isaiah 58. Starting in verse 5, is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? It's not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cord of the yoke. to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. And Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help. And he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in the sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your, fa- your fa- frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring Whose waters never fail, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer and broker of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on the holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not doing your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words. Then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we serve you, as we engage in your work, as we understand that we are sons and daughters to the King, as we live out the missional life that you desire, that we find great joy in it. And I pray this boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming tonight. Go in peace.